Greetings, this is uh, Super Villain Origin Story, uh, Metaphysics, Metaphysical Sciences. So, we're going to go ahead and talk about how to construct some of the worst kinds of weapons of all. Psychological weapons, or psyops, psychological operations, and biological weapons, or bio-weapons, bio-terrorism. Alright, so let's just uh, take it easy right now. Um, I'm going to have to put in the beginning of this that this is sci-fi, so that you people don't freak out. Alright. And I'm also going to put the uh, heading as fantasy. That's why it's in this collection of uh, sword paper. Because, um, because of this is based on uh, real technology, um, I don't want anybody freaking out just in case I happen to, uh, which was told to me by a physicist before, that sometimes I might have the uh, opportunity to stumble on some of this technology accidentally. So here we go. So, some of the first things we're going to talk about in constructing these bioweapons is, um, is we're going to start talking about the very small. We're going to start talking about subatomic particles. And we're going to start talking about them in a way that everybody can understand their interaction. Um, so, the first thing I'm going to do just to get that started is I'm going to look up quantum electrodynamics. Because quantum electrodynamics uh, provides a good, strong foundation for these things and how they can happen. So, we're gonna do that right now. You're gonna construct these, these bioweapons and everything like
Okay, I had to uh, have a super villain moment to go. No, you think you're good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so I just had a super villain moment uh, to talk to a girl. Alright, that's what that was. I, I might have to um, cut out a whole piece of that section where I went off camera. Uh, but who knows? Alright, so check this out. Um, uh, I have to. I'm gonna restart. Hey, extra. Um, I'm. No. No, this is super villain shit. Let's just continue. Alright, so the first thing I'm gonna do right here is, uh, is we're gonna go to Google. And the first thing we're gonna look up is, uh, <laughs> you like that, right? <laughs> so the first thing we're gonna look at is quantum electrodynamics, QED. So why do I wanna look up quantum electrodynamics? Um, because this is, this is one of the, the understandings in physics that we can get to understand how to build certain weapons these days, specifically psychological weapons and biological weapons. Interestingly enough, they both operate, uh, they both can be approached um, in, in, by using subatomic particles. So you can cause psychological distress and all kinds of other psychological effects using electromagnetism just as well as you can use electromagnetism to create, for example, electron switches and things like that to create biological weapons. Now, again, this is some messed up stuff and I may accidentally touch on some technology that actually exists because I'm mining my information from science. Now, why is this important? One of the things that's going to happen from this is that people are going to begin to understand a little bit more about very basic physics and chemistry, which is not conceptually difficult to understand what is being talked about in the scientific community. And what I mean by that is the concept is that you can understand a description of something um, much more than some people can understand, so much more than you might be able to understand the mathematics. So, for example, you might be able to understand that a certain uh, photon can make contact with an electron and hit it like a billiard ball, right? So hit like a, like a white cue ball might hit the eight ball, and when it hits the eight ball, the eight ball will move from where it is to another place, right? Um, and you don't have to understand the, even the frequency of the photon. You don't have to understand the energy level where the electron is placed in an atom, and you don't need to know any of those quantum numbers or anything like that. So, but we're going to look at that a little bit. But here's the concept. The concept that we're going to talk about is very simple, and so I'm going to start with that right now so we understand the concepts in science. And whenever I start nerding and geeking out, right, um, whenever I, 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 I'm nerding or geeking out, it's mainly talking about electrons and photons because they're very important. So let's look at quantum electrodynamics, uh, which was created by um, a somewhat famous physicist um, named Richard P. Feynman, and I think that's going to be him in here. Let's check it out. All right, so quantum electrodynamics from, this is from Wikipedia, by the way. Um, in particle physics, quantum electrodynamics, QED, is the relativistic quantum field theory of electrodynamics. 
In essence, it describes how light and matter interact and is the first theory where full agreement between quantum mechanics and special relativity is achieved. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a big deal right here. Uh, it says that it's the, the first theory where full agreement between quantum mechanics and special relativity is achieved. So let's think about what we're talking about here so that we know, for example, what's going on. A lot of people mix up special relativity and general relativity. So special relativity is the work that Albert Einstein did to, uh, to show us that, there is a, that light has a constant speed. Um, for example, there's one equation that says um, that says the time at B minus the time at A equals the time at A minus the time at B, which basically just says that the same speed that it takes from a particle of light, a photon, to go from A to B is the same speed that when it goes from B to A if the speed of light is a constant. Right, so that's the basic equation. So it just basically says that we know that it, it goes at a constant speed no matter what. Um, so another thing that's really interesting about that is that you can be on a train moving really fast, right? From And when you hit point A, you can fire a photon to point B. And you would think, like with more massive objects like a baseball, so if you were going here and you shot a bullet, I said baseball, but if you were on a train or a car, some moving vehicle, and you're going from, and you hit point A, as soon as you hit point A, if you fire that bullet from the train moving, you're going to have an additive velocity of the train speed plus the speed of the bullet that will then arrive at point B. However, with a photon, when you hit point A and you fire that photon, the photon will not take the speed from the vehicle that it's traveling in to add it as an additive velocity to get to point B. It's going to be the exact same. So if it takes one second for that photon to get from point A to point B, when, when it's fired from a stationary position, like a stationary laser, it's going to be the same as if it's fired from a moving laser on a train. It's still going to get there if it's time from one second to from point A to point B. So light does not pick up, uh, photons do not pick up the velocity of their source, their light source. So they remain constant. Okay, so that's one thing um, that uh, is special relativity. Now, and so special relativity, that's what they're talking about when they say that QED or quantum electrodynamics is the relativistic quantum field theory of electrodynamics. So electrodynamics is a pre predecessor, but this is the rel relativistic quantum field theory. So what's interesting about that is that you have relativity, which is seated a little bit in, in classical mechanics. Classical mechanics is Isaac Newton, which is the first, second, and third laws of motion, for example. First law of motion is inertia. Second law is force equals mass times acceleration. And third law, everybody knows in pop psychology and pop physics, as for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, um, so that is uh, a little bit about classical mechanics is the realm of Isaac Newton and the motion of bodies in space and gravity and things like that. But special relativity has to do with light. So that's what we're looking at here. So forgive me for the long diatribe on that.
but that's, uh, well, no, why should I ask for forgiveness? I'm a supervillain. This is my supervillain origin story here that I'm going to be creating uh, psycho and bio weapons. All right, here we go. Uh, let's take a look here. Quantum electrodynamics mathematically describes all phenomena involving photons, involving electrically charged particles, interacting by means of exchange of photons, and represents the quantum counterpart of classical electromagnetism, giving a complete account of matter and light interaction. In technical terms, QED can be described as a perturbation theory of the electromagnetic quantum vacuum. Richard Feynman called it the jewel of physics for its extremely accurate predictions of quantities like the anomalous magnetic moment of the electron and the lamb shift of the energy levels of hydrogen. All right. So I'm not going to get too much more into that. Let's see if there's anything in here that would be useful for that. Um, okay. So here's one thing that's going to be useful for, once again, constructing both psychological weapons and biological weapons. Now, let's talk about the concept before we go more into reading of the physics, because the concepts will help to understand the physics. Um, and the concepts can come down from the story. So there's a company called um, Nippon Telephone and Telegraph, I believe. Actually, I can just look it up on the website on my article that I wrote some years ago. I published on hypnoathletics.com. It's called, uh, and my websites have been attacked, by the way. Some, so there's a bunch of messed up code on the websites right now. And it happened after I released some information. So this one's called Electromagnetic Stimulation of the Mind-Body-Spirit. I published it on Hypno-Athletics on, uh, wow, that's way back in the day. I published it in 2006, in December. So that is, uh, wow, it's uh, 16 years ago. All right, so there's a company in here. What the heck is going on? I'm not trying to do that. All right, I don't know why. Okay, so here we go. So, on uh, there's a company called. I'm I'm looking here. Oh, here we go. Alright, so the company is called, um, there's an experimental device made by Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Corporation. Alright, so let me take a look. I click on the link about that experimental device. Ah, Breitbart. It was on Breitbart and it's not there anymore. So I'm going to have to find an updated link for that. 16 years ago, I got to do some updates. But it was called Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Corp. That targets the temporal lobe and the eighth cranial nerve pair or vestibulocochlear nerve that regulates hearing and equilibrium. Um, so the vestibulocochlear nerve or eighth cranial nerve pair has to do with your balance and also hearing. Um, this, tele this company used electromagnetic stimulation to basically steer a person. Uh, hold on, I'm getting a phone call here.
All right. Okay, so here we go. Mr. Extra, can you still... <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what are you laughing at? Um, so remember, Supervillain had to uh, take a moment earlier to about a girl. Well, the girl left her jacket, so I have to go bring it to her now. There we go. That's fun. Super Supervillain shenanigans. All right. Okay. So, um, all right. So let's take a look here. So this telephone company already that time I, I, I published this back in 2006 right so 16 years ago and they're already messing with this technology to steer people with uh, by using the vestibular cochlear nerve pair now the interesting thing about that same eighth cranial nerve pair and in that same article um, so I'm going to go a little bit up. So it says, in a few laboratories, such as that of Laurentian University and Michael Persinger, it has been demonstrated that stimulation of the right temporal region of the brain using electro, uh, EMFs or electromagnetic fields recorded from nature can induce religious experiences, the feeling of another presence, and the hallucination of entities. Okay? So... And this is this can all fall under the category of galvanic vestibular stimulation. Um, now, again, these are some. Now, what I want to go into the concept of that, so that we're not. Um, yeah, I know, right? So that we're not uh, too overwhelmed with the tech, because the concepts will help to understand the tech, right? So the concept here is that, um, and and it's what's interesting is that the, the one company is called Nippon Tele, Telephone and Telegraph, right? Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Corp. is in Japan. Now, the, the, the work that Michael Persinger did... Um, what is this other phone call coming in here? Oh. Okay, so now the thing is that the experiments that Michael Persinger did at Laurentian University were also based on geographically on a phenomena found very much in Japan and this is something called earthquake lights now earthquake lights are um, I wonder if I have if I wrote about it here oh yeah I did so let's check this out you know I might as well read this whole article or just put it in here all right yeah I, you know I'll read a little bit of this and see how bored I get with it but, again, let's remember the point that we're talking about here when we're creating the weapons, whether they're psychological weapons or biological weapons. We're using photons and electrons. So, this will sum that up. Electromagnetic stimulation of the mind, body, and spirit. About 10 to 20% of the world population are particularly susceptible to natural electromagnetic frequencies, EMFs, and experience electromagnetic stimulation, EMS. These people are usually more eccentric and express more creative traits than others. It may be said that these tend to be artists, musicians, and even those who are considered insane by conventional standards, depending on how one responds to this type of stimulation. It is possible that these electromagnetic disturbances, like many shamanic psychotropics and other hallucinogens, may actually be opening a portal in the mind or allowing 
visual access to superpositioned interdimensional phenomena. That's crazy. That's some David Icke level type of shit right there, right? But, you know, he's a little crazy, so let's not pay attention to that. But EMS, right, electromagnetic stimulation may be possible as our very atoms are held together by electromagnetism. Photon exchange between protons and electrons make for atomic composition. Photons are the mediators or carriers of the electromagnetic force. Now, that is related to what I just uh, pulled up about quantum electrodynamics by Richard P. Feynman, right? And in fact, it's the, the virtual photons that are the, the gauge bosons or the mediators of the electromagnetic force. So let's see, uh, next I wrote, remember this is from 2016 in December when I published this, so there might be some mistakes here. The quarks that comprise the protons and neutrons are carriers of electromagnetic charge in quantities of thirds, negative one-third and positive two-thirds. So, for example, inside of a, a proton, there are two up quarks, what they call two up quarks and one down quark. So you have two up quarks and one down quark. The two up quarks each have a positive charge of, of two-thirds positive electromagnetic charge. So two-thirds plus two-thirds equals four-thirds. But then if you, uh, if you take the, uh, the negative one-third of the, of the down quark, you have four-thirds minus one-third, you have three-thirds, which is one, which is positive one, which is why the proton has the charge of plus one. And in the case of a neutron, which has a neutral charge, you have two down quarks and one up quark. And so the two down quarks have negative one-third, negative one-third, that's two-third negative, right? Plus two-thirds of that one up quark. So negative two-thirds and positive two-thirds cancel each other out, that's zero, so that's why you have zero charge on the neutron. So. And then you have, of course, uh, something called the gluons, right, which they've called the brothers of the photon, act on very small uh, nucleon distance uh, spaces of holding together not only the quarks inside the nucleons, the protons and neutrons, but also holds the, um, the quarks themselves together, but also holds the, the uh, proton to the neutron inside the nucleon. So, and, and they're mediated, the electromagnetic force is mediated by uh, photons. So the entire electromagnetic spectrum ranges from low photon frequencies such as radio waves and moving up the scale all the way through microwaves, infrared, our visible bandwidth, ultraviolet, x-rays, and gamma rays. Now, check this out. The proteins, which are the major components of biological composition, made from amino acids, which make neurotransmitters, enzymes, uh, hormones, and other systems, are themselves wound up due to the mutual electromagnetic attractions between the basic elements that comprise these biological substances. Many proteins need help from charge-altering chaperone proteins to fold up. So think about this for a second. The molecules, the enzymes, and different things like that, and some proteins, they need help from charge-altering chaperone proteins to fold up. Okay. So now let's look at something that has a direct effect, a problem when we have interactions with electrons to photons. So one of the things that people talk about in popular uh, popular culture a lot are uh, free radicals, right? People are always talking about free radicals and antioxidants. Well, what does that mean? Free radicals are simply ions. They're simply ionic, uh, either atoms or ionic molecules, meaning they have 
an electron ripped off of them, one or more, so that they become more positively charged. Now, why is this a problem? Because normally in the system, they're negative, they're neutrally charged, and they're not, they're not very reactive at all. But when an electron goes missing, right? One electron goes missing, boing, now it's running around trying to find another electron. So it's stealing or trying to steal electron from other atoms or molecules that are nearby. And if those other atoms or molecules happen to be going through some type of interaction, like maybe the molecule is in a cell that's dividing in mitosis or some other process, the process won't happen in the way that it should. And you might cause some type of mutation or a misfired reaction that will cause some type of a problem in the cell. Now if it continues to cascade, like if electrons are being stolen, or if there's a whole lot of them at the same time, then you can have some major mutations and problems inside the body. Um, the least of which are the, the problems that people find with, um, with free radicals, which are fatigue and other kind of diseases that can develop because of that. So the, the opposite, the, the way to, to remedy that, of course, is through don't, uh, electron donors. And these are the antioxidants. Antioxidants donate electrons. They have, they're, they're negatively ionically charged, so they have electrons to give away. So when you take in those electron donors, it can help to squelch or stop the negative effects of the free radicals. And that's simply it, believe it or not, right? It's, it has to do with electrons and the lack of them. That's all. Hey, Mr. Bonatati. Uh, William, I'm actually going into constructing uh, based off of some of the conversations that we had, uh, Bill, about the um, graphene oxide and the other elements inside, uh, per perhaps what you speculated and what you shared with about the, um, about different vaccines. I'm just taking it a step further here, science fiction, and talking about more deeply about the science behind how you can actually create, inactivate, activate certain bioweapons and psychological weapons. And right now, I'm talking about the electron-photon reactions um, and how they're used to affect the way people move and they think. And um, and so and so there are a few um, ways that we can look at that in uh, some devices that are already in operation. So the next thing I'm going to talk about. So besides uh, the, the the device from Nippon. Uh, Telegraph and telephone cord that can that affects the eighth cranial nerve pair and vestibular cochlear nerve and can make a person rock back and forth. So imagine being dizzy. Welcome to the room, Ron. So imagine being dizzy, right? That's what it does. It imagine being feeling like you're being pulled to one side. Like you know, if you spin around really fast, right, and you feel dizzy, that's because the fluids in those those three uh, dimensionally placed chambers in your ear, the fluids are swirling around trying to to right themselves. Now imagine if you can affect the Electro, electromagnetic signal that those send to the brain by hacking into it, right? Um, and that's what some of these devices do. Um, they, they bypass the signals that come from uh, many different places. You have signals that come into the vestibular cochlear nerve or eighth cranial nerve pair from, uh, from physical sound pressure waves that hit the tympanic membrane. Uh, they also uh, vibrate back and forth. The little, the little hairs in your air move back and forth at the exact same frequency of the sound that's coming in. The tympanic membrane does as well. And the fluids in your ear are also affected. And those get transferred into electronic signals that then your brain interprets as either sound, uh, your position in space, and equilibrium and whatnot. But you can actually hack into that and make your body think that you are leaning 
or to the to the right, which would pull, which would make you want to pull yourself to the left, and therefore you can steer somebody that way. So there's just one of those working with bypassing an electronic system. Now the other one from Laurentian University that I was talking about, Michael Persinger, him and another guy named uh, Corin, David Corin, they created something called the Corin Octopus, also known as the God Helmet. And uh, I'll read a little bit more about here. It says um, in nature, electromagnetic. Uh, frequencies are an everyday production being cast off by the ionosphere and magnetosphere surrounding and protecting the earth. These EMFs may also be created by tectonic stress building up before an earthquake or volcanic eruption. There are more mundane causes on a small scale such as static electricity aroused by the friction of certain materials and the conduction of this energy through a conduit, such as a person, right? So because static electricity just builds up what we know as another EMF, electromotive force, um, which are known as volts. You need to have volts in order to push uh, about six quadrillion electrons across one point in one second, and that's what a volt is. So, um, you, so people worry about being electrocuted. You can't be electrocuted unless you have enough voltage to push the charge carriers, which are the electrons, uh, through a... Pro point fast enough. Um, more interestingly, EMFs can be created when a person is under stress or strain and through our everyday use of home appliances, computers, and mobile phones, we create new types of EMFs and EMFs continuously as well. Um, we are made more vulnerable to this type of energy when we are sleeping. So the, the device that, that David Corin and Michael Persinger created the God Helmet or the Corn Octopus acted also on the vestibular cochlear nerve pair. They recorded the earthquake-like frequencies from nature, put them into a device, into a chip, and then played them back to people who were wearing this helmet. And they had what would be considered to be, what did he call it? And they induced religious experiences, the feeling of another presence, and the hallucination of entities, and also what they called hyper-religiosity. So now, this is not taking away from anybody's uh, faith or anything, it's just that they found a way to open up a doorway that gets people to tap into that part of their mind. So that's just a little bit of that right there. Let's see what, if I have anything else I want to look at quantum electrodynamics. Um, let's see, let's just look at the introduction for quantum electrodynamics. Again, this is Wikipedia. Um, near the end of his life, Richard P. Feynman gave a series of lectures on QED intended for the lay public. I actually have those lectures. There's six CDs that I have. Um, CDs, right? Imagine. I should get the. I should get those. Well, they're in my library in Tarzana, California. But I'm sure that I can get the the, um, the MP3 or other files for that. Um, these lectures were transcribed and published as Feynman, QED, the Strange Theory of Light and Matter, a non-classic non-mathematical exposition of QED from the point of view articulated below. The key components of Feynman's presentation of QED are three basic actions, right? So this is quantum electrodynamics. One, a photon goes from one place and time to another place in time. A photon goes from one place in time to another place in time. An electron goes from one place in time to another place in time simple enough. And three, an electron either emits or absorbs a photon at a certain place and a certain time. 
These actions are represented in the form of visual shorthand uh, by the three basic elements of Feynman diagrams. A wavy line for the photon, a straight line for the electron, and a junction of two straight lines and a wavy line, and a wavy one for a vertex representing emission or absorption of a photon by an electron. These can all be seen by the adjacent diagram. So that's on the Wikipedia page that you can look for quantum electrodynamics. So interestingly enough, this is exactly what we're talking about here. It's the absorption and what was the, the word that we use here? Uh, emit, right? Emission, yes, emission. Um, the emission or expulsion of a photon, right? So when people talk about, this is, this is what, in, and also in popular language, people talk about quantum leaps. And they usually talk about a quantum leap in, in, in relationship to some big thing that's happening in their life. Like they made a new uh, discovery, or they learned something, or they, they had a big uh, change in their life. But as far as subatomic particles go, and in quantum physics, quantum mechanics, or even looking at quantum electrodynamics, what we're talking about is that electrons exist in certain energy levels, or shells, which can roughly be represented by a sphere around a new a central point, right? So a cloud, or you can look at it as a sphere um, around a central point. And it's going to be in one of these energy levels. And so, like, uh, for example, a hydrogen atom has only has an electron in its highest energy state closest its single proton and it takes a certain amount of energy I think it's 13 negative 13.7 electron volts to remove that completely from that high energy shell because if you get a little bit of energy that's a little bit less like I think it's 7.4 is the next one negative 7.4 electron volts if negative 7.4 electron volts hits that electron it'll jump it'll have a quantum leap from its higher energy level to an, their lower energy well, we call it lower energy level but it takes higher energy to get it from that state to another one but that's when it absorbs the photon it'll take that photon in jump up or quantum leap to the next level stay there for a little while then it will emit that photon and jump back down i call it a quantum fall i don't know what else they call it that but it falls back into its original state and this here is the essence of so many things that happens in nature when you have two oxygen molecules by themselves, what's called elemental oxygen, they have their own electron shells, eight electrons in the outer shell. It's called their valence electrons. What happens is when they bond together to become molecular oxygen, the oxygen that we breathe, is that the valence electrons or the electrons on the outside start having an interaction. They share those outer shells. The reason they can do this is because there are empty positions in those outer shells. If those outer shells were full, which they are not in, a, in, in, in oxygen molecules, they would, they would just bounce off each other. They wouldn't be able to, to interact. But because there's some empty space in the outer shell of, of oxygen, they can share. So that one electron gets shared between both of those atoms, and that's what creates their bond. Now there needs some energy to create those bonds. And what happens sometimes is when they get enough energy as when, when one of the electrons are quantum leaping out to their higher energy state, it's like they're reaching out and grabbing on. They're reaching out to the valence shell of that other oxygen molecule and then they jump back down and pull each other together. That's an oversimplification. But this is what happens. This is also what, what happens with energy. For example, when plants take carbon dioxide, which is one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms, 
right? Which is what happens in our bodies when we breathe in oxygen, we attach a carbon molecule to it and expel it. And this happens because of the me metabolism of glucose inside the mitochondria and whatnot. But it takes energy to, to then also bond that carbon to those oxygen molecules. Um, the plants use the electron, the, the photons from the sunlight to take carbon dioxide and remove that carbon and, 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 and keep molecular, molecular oxygen. But again, this is all that's happening, is that electrons are shifting energy levels, attaching to each other, going back to their energy levels, sharing electrons, and again, in many processes, they're either losing or gaining electrons, and this a lot of it has to do with photonic and other energetic reactions. And, and by the way, when we're talking about energy in this case, all of most of the energy is in the form of photons, which we might see as different um, frequencies, like uh, like I talked about before, radio waves and whatnot. So now keep in mind though that there's only certain level where you get to what's called ionizing radiation, and ionizing radiation doesn't come until you get to the higher levels of up ultraviolet and beyond which means that they can knock electrons around. So, one of the questions, if we're talking about these conspiracies about um, how to create bioweapons triggered by 5G, is 5G operating somewhere in an ionizing type of radiation? I think that scientists will tell you no. I think that the creators of the technology will say that we that that 5G and other technologies that we're using are safe for humans because they do not operate in ionizing radiation levels. I can't. I'm not confirming that right now, but I will in just a moment. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be very good at uh, using the Googles here, and I'm going to put um, ionizing radiation 5G. That should pull up something, right? Ionizing radiation 5G, right? So is there? Okay, so the first thing that comes up is an ad from wirelesshealthfacts.com. I don't know if I should trust that. Um, 5G mobile networks and health, a state of the science review. This is from nature.com. So nature is a, some is a respected uh, scientific journal, whatever that means, right? So let's take a look. I, okay. Oh, you know, I'm going to go to NCBI, NL, I'm going to go to NIH, the National Institutes of Health.gov, to see what they say. They have an article titled, Health Risks from Radio Frequency Radiation, Including 5G. So let's see. What do they have to say about that? All right. So this is from Oncology Letters, 2020, October. Health risks from radio frequency radiation, including 5G, should be assessed by experts with no conflicts of interest. Uh-oh. I think we're on to something here, guys. Right? This is from, this is a government agency, right? So let's take a look at what they say. They may, they may have some implications, maybe not. Abstract. The fifth generation 5G of radio frequency uh, radiation is about to be implemented globally without investigating the risks to human health and the environment. Um, this has created debate among concerned individuals in numerous countries. 
In an appeal to the European Union in September 2017, currently endorsed by more than 390 scientists and medical doctors, a moratorium on 5G deployment was requested until proper scientific evaluation of potential negative consequences has been conducted. So I guess a moratorium would mean to hold it, right guys? This request has not been acknowledged by the EU. The evaluation of radiofrequency radiation health risks from 5D technology is ignored in a report by a government expert group, by a government expert group in Switzerland and a recent publication from the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. See? So this is what I'm talking about. Ionizing or non-ionizing radiation. So it looks like they're saying that just by the fact of, of this International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection is that they're implicating here so far that it looks like non-ionizing radiation can also cause some of these problems. Conflict of interest and ties to the industry seem to have contributed to the biased reports. The lack of proper unbiased risk evaluation of the 5G technology places populations at risk. Furthermore, there seems to be a cartel of individuals monopolizing evaluation committees, thus reinforcing the no-risk paradigm. Uh, the no-risk paradigm. We believe that this activity should qualify as scientific misconduct. Hello, Brady. How are you doing today? Talk to someone about how you doing, bro? You good? I need to know, like, what kind of questions I need to ask. Like, what do I need to know? Any advice you can give me? I'm, I'm also trying to raise funds, do some fundraising today to get it started. Okay, so the, not bugging you about that. But like, what? So, so let's start from the beginning. Oh, uh, I have a meeting with a lawyer no, no, no. like half an hour. I know, but let's start from the beginning. The first thing is to do what now? It's a nonprofit that helps other nonprofits get started. Yeah, anything I should ask. But, okay, and uh, so you're talking about what, what they like, what points you should bring up to them? Well, basically, yeah. Um, basically, the things are what. Here's here's the standard thing of anything you're going to do dealing with people. Um, you should find out first about what the costs are going to be to file for the nonprofit, because you can always change your nonprofit to something else later. So it doesn't have to be the most involved one. Like this guy, Chris, I was working with, he was talking about, I need $4,000 and I need to do this before I can get started. And it's a bunch of bull crap. Find out what the lowest entry that you can get in is. And then once you start operating, find out how you can get two things when you're dealing with people. You're gonna need liability insurance and um, uh, there's two types of insurance, liability and um, Oh, and workman's comp, something similar to that, even if you're working with volunteers. So those are the two things you're going to want to get. So the lowest entry level uh, as far as cost goes into starting a nonprofit and then liability and workman's comp. So once you have those things, you can pretty much do anything that you want. Um, 
because you're covered. So they might be a little bit, um, the, the insurance might sometimes, some people seem daunting, but it's not. Sometimes you can get it for as little as like 200 to $500 for an entire year. So but just uh, look at that. Um, as far as any other questions to ask, um, those two things would be it. Because the way I'm running my dojo right now is um, I have I have liability insurance and uh, I don't have any workman's comp because I don't have any employees yet. Although I have it ready to push the button on that because I'm going to start. I, I've already started a scholarship program where I'm going to be having people uh, running another company that I started, which is called Dojo Dusters. And they're going to be cleaning I like that, man. for taking classes. Thank you so much, like dude. That, that honestly helps a lot. Um, um, because I'm going into the fundraising process where I'm going to be like going around town, like talking to Pizza Hut and, you know, all the local restaurants and churches and lawyers office and doctors and everyone and just asking for asking how much they're spending in taxes and seeing if I can get them to allocate those, those taxes to me instead of. Yeah. So here's another thing. Yeah. So now we're talking about money, right? Yeah. So the other thing you, you're going to want to do is set up ahead of time a system of transparency so that yeah. you can report what what you're taking in from who. So everything's going to be like a spreadsheet. Like in one column, you're going to say like Pizza Hut donated $20, right? And, and 10 of those dollars went to buy mouthpieces, right? Um, went into the mouthpiece fund. So everything has to have that clear line of exactly where this went into. So, and they don't have to, you don't have to itemize every uh, single different purchase, but it does have to be in a box. So like you'll say, for example, you have $20 here and you take 10 that goes into a pot for the mouthpieces, right? And so you know that, that 10 from Pizza Hut, 10 from Dojo Dusters, 10 from this place go into this pot. So yeah. say if you have three donors for your nonprofit, 10 from each, each of them gave you what whatever amount of money, but you're only taking 10 from each of them because yes. you need 30 bucks for your mouthpieces. So you show that 10 from them, 10 from this, 10 from that went into this. So you just need to have a clear track of what's being spent on what. Um, and other than that, like for the most part, uh, as, long, as long as you can find a way to do that, there are certain best practices, but the best practice is just to be able to show. Dude, here, thank you so much, like file. honestly, you're living my dream, and it, and it oh, helps so much to have someone who's actually like doing it. Just bounce these questions off. You don't know what it means to me, man. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, I got to get cracking. But what, what you got going on today? What's good with you, dude? and let me know what. what, what... Um, I am. I should have been at the dojo a long time ago, but uh, nobody has called me to say that they're going to show up yet. But I'm going to have to leave soon to go because um, they usually start showing up around noon to like like afternoon. So um, other than that, and I'm just doing these talks, and I'm really right now trying to figure out the, the technology behind. Um, I, I want to actually expose how to create the electronic and photonic switches behind um, a theorized or a, let's say, conspiracy theorized technology about how to activate um, injected, uh, injectable, um, inactivated viruses that can be activated by uh, certain types of frequencies um, and also how these can be used as psychological weapons and I'm posing it as science fiction and as a supervillain um, but 
I already got my, my websites got cyber attacked yesterday. Um, all of my websites got taken down um, because I had an encounter with a science communicator who tried to steer me away from what I'm doing um, by 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 throwing in some. It was it was really obvious to me, and it was in front of a, an audience. What he was doing, he works for. I have it recorded. Yeah. Um, and he's a science communicator, and he works for a major government organization. Um, and he really came up and tried to throw me off of something. So, and then right after I didn't allow that to happen, everything got attacked. And I called GoDaddy, Go who have been 16 years hosting, and they're like, we don't know what's like, going solid. on. I'm even looking at one of my websites you're talking right about now, all it's your still websites, not fully blogs, functional. Everything you worked on it's gotten some crazy looking... Yeah, so... Oh, Colin's been... Yeah, but most of them are up now with some problems. I'm not, I'm actually reading from one of them right now, but but the, my namesake, like my website HakeemAlexander.com, is still not coming up. It was up yesterday temporarily, and then that's down again. And uh, the best that they could tell me was, "Oh, we'll call you when it's fixed." No, no note to compensating me for the fact that that's the website where people go to pay for my services, where it has my payment processing and all this other stuff like that. No mention like we're going to compensate for you that that we're losing revenue from your business for memberships and other stuff that you do. It's whatever. Um, I, it, it's just when you see a certain sequence of events and things happening, it's just pretty uh, interesting. But most of well, them are back up. Now, so I'm not, I think the more I'm not eyes gonna complain, in the I'm just going to keep on so pushing on. What do you think? Um, but yeah, so it's just that, and I'm continuing to do that stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. I'm going to continue to be talking and publishing about it. And the thing I was saying, too, is that uh, links from Colin here have been being blocked. I did a, a, a couple of days ago or yesterday, the day before, that was asking, is, is Colin being censored? And because I found that it was. Now, here's how crazy the censorship is going. I was just simply attempting to send a link of a martial arts yeah. recording from Colin through text message to my clients who were there in the gym that they wanted to see their training and completely disappeared. Not only that, but they don't even get a text at all. And so I did an experiment. I sent them a text with nothing except just a yeah. text, like, hello, delivered. I sent them a text with the link only to Colin, no delivery at all. I sent them with with uh, a, a, tech, uh, a message with Text first. Have you tried sending second? other links as no well? Like maybe other call-in shows that like, first, you know what I mean? No delivery at all. So, so Colin has not. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, I, I, I have. But the interesting thing is, is that on one of my sites, I have the links that go to Colin. Right. So I can send my website, Kapageta.com that has call-in links in it, and that will open, so they'll be able to get the call-in from there. But it's like a second, but it's like a, Are you, you know, able to say, it has to be share one of my websites, rooms so it has with to go one to of your people and then you can see the it just and then they can click on it and open them. But I can't send, as that. Well, I don't know, I just, it was just rooms that I was attempting to share. And I and, and Charlie Weiser came up into the room when I was doing it, and he responded to me right away when I asked him the question. I was like, hey, have you had any experience? Cool. 
about that, and he said uh, there has been, there have yeah. been some glitches, but he I didn't go into any of the stuff I would say, like intentionally being blocked. He just says, "Oh, we've had some experiences with that before." So. Yeah, there, there still could be some changes they're yes. making uh, well, throughout of the, you know, the messenger video, yeah, something but not, could have gone. Yeah, not who knows, the platform you know, itself. Who knows who, hi who they hired for what? But yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't seem like yeah, overt, like know. targeted yeah. censoring every. Yeah, I'm not freaking out about it. It is what it is. So. Yeah, but you know. I'm it honestly very impressed with how flexible they've been with the first amendment. Said, so <laughs> I'm just that's going to remain. Yeah. yeah, you know, they, they've really let us talk about anything, you know? <laughs> flexible. They're not afraid to let us... Flexible with the first amendment. Yeah, no, no just, the, just the fact that, like, well, when yeah, they're willing to really thought... let us... Kind I of push the boundaries a little bit, they you know, something as far as free speech is concerned. I feel like it's uh, pretty cool. We're talking about COVID, no problems, you know. Um, we're talking shit, no problems. <laughs> and I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, just the ability to share it on but, other platforms like Facebook or Twitter is pretty we'll badass. See. So, let's see. There's no problem doing Bill that, is so, sending right? some stuff in the live chat. Yeah. Hey, Cliff Jumper. I'll make yes, some room for William to come up. i got to get ready for my meeting, man. But thank you so much, dude. No, I have not that I've seen. Um, so. All right, stay cool. All right. Yeah, man. All right, Brady, of course, as usual, brother. Be well. Good luck. Um, so, Bill, I, what I'm intentionally trying to do, uh, Bill, is uh, look at... So, welcome. What's up, Bill? Unmute. What do you got to say? So, Because I'm looking at uh, the links that you sent, and I get that. What I'm, what, what, what I'm doing is instead of going to those alternative, those so-called alternative news sites, right, alternative science sites, I'm going straight to, this is the NIH, right, National Institutes of Health.gov website, to be able to put together the pieces. Because remember, the components of any weapon, whether it be sci psychological and or biological, are all the components are hidden in plain sight. Um, all of the, the research is being done in laboratories in the open. But it's like Voltron, right? The old cartoon from the 80s, Voltron. You remember how the five lions were in different parts of the Earth, right? And they had to come together in order to create the, the final weapon? Well, that's what's happening. You have somebody creating a green line here, a black line there, a yellow line there, a blue line here, and a red line here, right? And they seem to be completely creating these different lines that have nothing to do with each other. But oh shit! You bring them together and you got fucking Voltron, right? And you're over there slaying robeasts, which are basically humans, right? They're, kill they're, they're, they're Voltron are these biological and psychological weapons um, that are not affecting everybody. So that's um, uh, what, why I'm looking at the mainstream stuff. And I see the links that you sent. Um, what did you have to say about some of those links that you were sending there? Uh, or anything else that you were coming up to talk about, Bill? Can you hear me, brother? Can you hear me? Okay, 
For some reason now I'm talking, I can't hear you. I don't know why. I can't hear any of the background. Um, because I put it on because it's really noisy. That's all. And I want to be able to hear you better without the, the, without the speaker being interrupted. All right. Very good. Um, well, I enabled the camera. I don't know if you can see me because I couldn't get it to go forward without enabling the camera. I'm just chilling in bed here. Um, anyway. I don't see it working, but whatever. Um, you can enable it if you want or not. I tried, but I don't need you to see me. I just didn't know if you did. Um, so Deborah Traveris, she's got a ton of stuff on Rumble with StopTheCrime.net, and some of it may help you connect some links. That's the only reason I'm, you know, you may be interested in watching. No, I, I got you, and I've seen some of those links before, uh, and I, I appreciate that and you sharing. The point that I'm making is that if I can put this together myself without looking at that stuff through the mainstream scientific journals, then we have a really clear-cut thing of what's happening because, like I said, I, I'm, it's the Voltron theory, right? If you can look at the five lions and bring them together from the mainstream that are out in the open, then you're like, okay, this is not a conspiracy theory. This comes from the scientific literature. Now, even if that's not the case, the fact that somebody like me can go around and look at the scientific literature and pull five lions together and create a Voltron, now that's a problem. That means that there are supervillains all over the world who can look at this technology in these different places and say, you know what, I'm going to create a techno-psycho-bio-weapon right now based off just stuff that exists in the public domain. So that's the only point that I'm making about not necessarily looking at those crime.net and, and rumble.com because people consider those to be fringe conspiracy theory nut job websites, right? The question I have is, I there is, well, I question what the mainstream media or what you may be able to find or not find in that way. She's, I, you, and that's part of the problem. I read this know? research. That's the, that's the thing. I don't question what you're going to find in there. That's the point that I'm making. I need you to, so, so I'm not asking you to, to, to uh, believe or know what I'm saying. I'm asking you to accept that that's the approach that I'm taking in order to make my case. That my, my whole entire theory and hypothesis is built on the idea that you can find all of the components for all of this supposedly nefarious conspiracy theory shit in the mainstream. That you'll be able to find it if you look for it. So if I can't, then I can't. I'm not trying to go any other way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to prove it through this way in a science fiction way so that's that's the whole point it's like i get where you're coming from that other people say they put it together but what if i just coming from the ground can go ahead and look at this article for example this is from the national library of medicine from the national institutes of health and it's saying that that listen to this it says that that we believe that this activity should qualify as scientific misconduct okay so that even just goes against the point that you just made, right? You're saying, I don't believe you can find in the mainstream, well, they just said that it's scientific misconduct. So what you, this is mainstream, this is a government website. So what do you say about that? I'd say, uh, thank God for digging and finding it. I think Deborah Tavares and some others have, in fact, one of her documents is a NASA warfare document that she pulled off the NASA website. So. Um, she's. I, I'm not discouraging you. Oh yeah, of course. I just, I just want to emphasize my point about the approach that I'm taking, which is that I can find it in the mainstream literature and I can construct a very dangerous, even evil weapon 
just from stuff that I'm reading from Google. And that's so that that's it. And 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 we can come to the conclusions of these things even based off of stuff that's already been floating around in my head based on some very elementary physics from and a very basic well, go for it, brother. I look forward to seeing what, you know, your work. I'm I'm glad I caught you this morning. So thanks for inviting me and yeah, I'll I'll be following. I'll be talking to you uh, soon as usual. All right, Mr. Two Extra, what's... Take Mr. Two Extra here. What's up, Extra? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine, man. I just want to make sure that I, I understand you correctly. That what you're saying is that if an average Joe can put those things together without using any form of knowledge that he has from anybody that has wrote or did anything, then that could be very dangerous. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm saying that one, to your point, yes, it can be very dangerous, and two, it will prove that people who are much smarter than us have already created these things based on those those understandings. I, I like that, man. That's that's a great work, man. Um, and um, I think you're going to find something. You may not find exactly what you're looking for, but you're going to find something. Um, and I, I'm a firm believer if, if you got a microphone glass and you look for dirt, you're going to find dirt. That's right. So I'm just looking for the dirt. And just remember, I'm I'm constructing the concept myself based off of like some science fiction, which is like, you know, a lot of people know about the cartoon Voltron, right? And the five lines. And then later on, they had this one with cars. But the concept is the same. The research is being done in plain sight in laboratories all over the world. You just have to pick and find it and put it together. Like, um... Let's see. Oh, here, here's an example of accidental technology. Monsanto, which a lot of people consider to be one of the most evil organizations on the planet, accidentally discovered in one of their dumpsters a bacteria that processes the xenobiotic or foreign to their, their biology molecule of glyphosate, which is one of the main ingredients in their Roundup Ready weed killer. So what did they do? They copied this genetic sequence that breaks down that glyphosate into a non-toxic product, and they engineered it into corn, soy, wheat, etc., and marketed it as Roundup Ready wheat, Roundup Ready soy, Roundup Ready corn. So a genetically engineered soy, corn, and wheat, which was taken from the xenobiotic processing bacterium they found in a dumpster. They just found it, and they're like, oh, this thing is here. Let's take this gene sequence from some dumpster-ass bacteria and put it into wheat, corn, and soy so that we can spray as much of our fucking toxic glyphosate-laced Roundup on it, and it won't die. But, be, but, but, you know, but have fun washing off the glyphosate and stuff from your, your, your crops and putting it in, in your body. So... So that's just one example of like some that you just you can find something in the world. Now this this bacterium wasn't um, wasn't something that was being researched in the laboratory. It's just that they just found it by accident. Let's talk about another bacterium, one that they call Conan the bacterium. 
There's this bacterium called Conan the bacterium that, that NASA scientists have researched, which basically has an abundance of manganese in its body, where when they reproduce to conditions on Mars, which is being bombarded with, with protons and a bunch of other solar photons and radiation, that on the surface, when it was being exposed by this bare radiation, this bacterium lived for a few minutes. Now that doesn't seem like much until you consider that everything else, including humans, dies in seconds. So already this, this, this bacterium, uh, scientific name is uh, Dinococcus radiodurans, is already much more resilient than almost anything else known to be alive on the planet. So then they buried it under 10 centimeters of soil, which is not that much, 10 centimeters. It's a little bit of soil, right? Um, so, so one inch is 3.4 centimeters. So let's say one inch, two inches, right? Three. So 10 centimeters of soil, not that much, right? And so under 10 centimeters of soil, the lifespan of of radio of uh, Dinococcus radiodurans or Conan the bacterium went up to millions of years. When they buried it under 10 meters of soil, it lived up to 280 million years. So this is another example of something they found, a bacteria they found in a lake, and they're like, wow, it has this kind of resilience, and it's because of the high levels of manganese in its system that's able to deal with uh, this radiation. And let me just fact check that on myself real quick, but, but see, so my point is that you can find things in different places, like, okay, let's, let's, let's show now some wild uh, um, speculation about how you can take these technologies that are in the public domain and put them together really quickly. So just come up with a speculation, a speculative theory. Uh, but first, Brady, what do you have to say, sir? Just a quick question. I was wondering if you happen to know of any affordable um, electromagnetic shields, like uh, the pulses, the, the Schumann resonance pulsers, if you know any that are affordable. I don't know about any of those, but I do know that the, the first thing that people can do is... Um, is uh, follow the, the dietary guidelines that talk about antioxidants because those are all electron donors. The technologies that you're talking about help pump electrons into your body with a small voltage. Some of them help with a small no, voltage. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's just an electromagnetic pulse. It should be, I'm thinking it should be relatively yes, cheap to produce. That's what a um, pulse is, yes. Uh, it's electromagnetic. You can't have a pulse of electromagnetism unless you have voltage. So that's what I'm saying. The, the devices like that you're talking oh, about yeah. need a small way to push yeah, electrons yeah. through. Yeah, they need to push electrons through, yeah, so that you can get them into your system flowing to where they need to go. And that would be the equivalent of an antioxidant. But that's a technological what? antioxidant. It's, it's, no, it's not technically electrons that it's putting into you. Um, what it's doing is uh, emitting an electromagnetic pulse. It's like a, a, emitting a magnetic pulse, basically. Right, and which that creates pulse, electromotive force and moves electrons. Yeah, um, so it'll move the electrons that are already in you, but it won't necessarily put them in. If you want electrons in you, you got to do some antioxidants, like you said. Okay. Yeah, I got. send me a link or something like that. I don't know about that exactly yet. I mean, um, Dude, I will, because I think that we could probably build these ourselves relatively cheaply. Probably. And that would be cool as fuck, dude. So <laughs> I'll send you a link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see, see what we can do about that. Um, so one example of how you can roughly speculate based on currently available science is this. 
So here's three things. One, we have NASA reinvestigating uh, uh, Conan the bacterium, also known as Deinococcus radiodurans, which can live up to 280 million years on the Martian surface if it was buried under just 10 meters of soil. Millions of years under just 10 centimeters of soil. Two, in 2024, NASA is launching a mission with a crew to the lunar surface in order to install a solar collection, a solar energy collection array, so photovoltaic cells, to, to um, I'm sorry, uh, not that, sorry, let's back up. This 2024 mission is to test and install the infrared laser communications array. So they're installing a infrared laser communications array with a crew in 2024. The other technology that's being sent up there, um, and part of it has been created by a company called Astrobotic, is they've created, already finished, and they already have contracts they're selling to not only NASA, but to private institutions, are rovers that will go to the surface of the moon, the lunar surface, and are tethered by cables to the, the solar energy collection arrays or the, the solar stations, the solar energy stations. And when they charge the batteries that are on these rovers, the rovers will then drive up to what's known our customer assets on the lunar surface, right? And, and, and uh, charge those customer assets, moon bases, wirelessly charging them energy. So now, based on the fact that we're going to the moon and staying there, we're installing infrared laser communications arrays. We've already landed on Mars in the unmanned missions, and now we're trying to be cautious about something called forward contamination and backward contamination. One could speculate that we have discovered something on Mars that we do not want to do what's called backwards contamination. Why else would they be looking at, again, Deinococcus radiodurans uh, and putting moon bases with customer assets, which most likely are going to be laboratories that are going to be able to handle the reception of these Martian life forms and the, the research of them on the lunar surface because you cannot bring something like that back to Earth. So you have to, and they don't want to do any forward contamination. So if we're doing heavy research into forward and backward contamination right now, putting infrared laser communication arrays on the moon and already have constructed uh, wirelessly charging uh, rovers for the lunar surface, you could say, oh, they might have found something that they want to bring back to the moon so they can research it there because it's too dangerous to bring back to Earth. So this is how you can take science research technology from different places and say, oh, I can speculate on this without being too far off the line. I mean, that that would be something that you would do, that would make sense. I mean, again, I even talked to a NASA scientist, Christopher Birkenbein, who works for uh, Armstrong Flight Research Center in uh, down the street from Jet Propulsion Laboratories when I was on Wisdom and asked him the exact same question about those speculations. He said, yeah. That could be possible. That's what you would do if you found something like that. So, um, and that's not his field. He doesn't do astrobiology or anything like that, or xenobiology that I know of. But, um, but so back to the constructing the, the the weapon again now, right? So we can find this stuff here. So the thing that I was looking for, um, and I, I'm sure I'll find it back again here. But 
so we're looking at the health risk of 5G. Oh, so let's see. Um, so there's an introduction here. It says, most politicians and other decision makers using guidelines for exposure to radio frequency radiation seem to ignore the risks to human health and the environment. The fact that the International Agency for Research on Cancer at the World Health Organization in May 2011 classified radio frequency radiation in the frequency range of 30 kilohertz to 300 gigahertz to be a possible human carcinogen. Group 2B is being ignored. This has been recently exemplified in a hearing at the Tallinn Parliament in Estonia. An important factor may be the influence on politicians by individuals and organizations with inborn conflicts of interest and their own agenda in supporting the no-risk paradigm. The International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection has repeatedly ignored scientific evidence on adverse effects of radiation, of radiofrequency radiation to humans and the environment. Their guidelines for exposure are based solely on the thermal heating paradigm and were first published in 1998, updated in 2099, and have now been newly published in 2020, with no change of concept, only relying on thermal effects from radio frequency radiation on humans. The large amount of peer-reviewed science on non-thermal effects has been ignored in all of their evaluations. Additionally, they have successfully maintained their obsolete guidelines worldwide. Okay, again, this is the National Institutes of Health, and this is from 2020 in October. So I think that that would be something very interesting to look at. Um, all right, so so now they're talking about that non-ionizing radiation can also have these problems, but I'm not looking at non-ionizing radiation just yet because that's non-ionizing radiation is normal stuff. Like you can get that from sunlight and uh, and ultraviolet radiation is in that not that non-ionizing is in the ionizing radiation uh, spectrum, but um, and, but so is so is infrared, and we know that enough heat can cause uh, protein folding problems and all kinds of uh, interesting issues when it comes to uh, biology. But, um, but what I'm really looking at is for ionizing radiation, because ionizing radiation is cool because you can focus it and you can knock stuff, you can knock electrons right out of systems if you want to. So you can, so let's just say for example, I'm gonna show a physical example of this here. Um, let's just say that, uh, all right, you have um, a, a virus or that you created that has two prongs. That the way that its proteins fold, it wants to touch like this, right? But now on top of here, if you put an electron, because here is positively charged, right? And you put an electron here and another one here, the repulsive force will push it apart, right? This is a very crude example. But, those, but one of them is very weak. Right, weakly attached, but not so weakly attached that it won't that it'll come off by itself. So that if you hit it with a radiation that's enough to knock it out, then that negative that charge here plus that positive will cause this to close, which may close a circuit and allow this thing to go and run amok and do other things inside the system. One way that this happens already is in free radicals. Uh, free radicals already um, in themselves 
are examples of this. When they have electrons knocked off, they start doing all kinds of naughty things in the body. So, all right. Mm. Now, you know what? We're going to have to do a part two um, and uh, look at some more of this. But now I'm on a roll here because I'm going to find... I'll put this in the comments later, but I'm going to develop this more. I just want to get over to the dojo where, one, it's more quiet and where my students are going to be showing up. So I got to do that now. So, Mr. Extra, anything you want to say what's up before I close this? Uh, Bill, I'm going to be coming back up soon when uh, once I get back to my I'm studio. No, no, sir. I would, I would do it. Oh, yes. Uh, backhoe Bill. Uh, so... Bill, I've seen the uh, the Giza nuclear power plant. So the stuff you're talking about, uh, Bill, has to do um, with other technology that are resonant, scalar resonance frequency weapons, which one of those things was written about in the book called um, The Cosmic War, um, Modern Physics and Ancient Texts, where they speculated that there was a, a weapon that was created um, that was able to focus in on the uh, the, the radiation of a, an entire planet and just like an opera singer can focus on the frequency of a glass they can shatter it so supposedly that Kuiper belt of meteor, meteor, meteorites that are between Mars and Jupiter used to be another planet and one of the speculations for this is because according to the Fibonacci sequence it looks like the planets are spaced in a 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13 spacing from the Sun that there should be one, one, two, three. It should be one uh, in between Mars and Jupiter. So, and supposedly that was a, an exploded planet, but that was hit by one of these scalar resonance weapons. According to this this wild theory, right, hypothesis, and that's what also blew off the atmosphere from the Martian surface. So, who knows, right? We shall see. Alright, that's it guys. I'm gonna go and get to the dojo, which will take me about 15 minutes, and then where it's much quieter and I can do a lot more, I'll see you then. So, thanks for the uh, input, Bill. I'm gonna come back later and you can share some more of these uh, resources with me, and we can look into that as well. Alright guys, stay well.